Hello and welcome to the Here for Healing podcast with me, your host, Carly Brown. This is a podcast dedicated to the healing journey using alternative, holistic, and integrative methods to heal from the inside out. I chat with practitioners, patients, and individuals who are blazing their own path to radiant, vibrant health and wellness. I can't thank you enough for being here. Let's get into this week's episode. Today on the Here for Healing podcast, I am thrilled to welcome Dr. Sonia Milani to the podcast, a naturopath who focuses on integrative oncology. We will be delving into what integrative oncology is, how it compares to conventional oncology, and what the role is for each on the healing journey. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Sonia. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here today. Yes, this has been a long time coming for us to connect in this way, and I'm just thrilled to have you. Yes, yes, I know. This is great. So tell us a little bit about, you know, I know a little bit of the story about um, your father's experience with cancer and that how that inspired you to go more of down an integrative route. So tell us about, you know, why you became a naturopath, why you decided to focus on integrative oncology and what your connection to that work is. Yeah. So I was not one of those kids who grew up knowing that I wanted to be a doctor. Um, I think a lot of my classmates and colleagues were, you know, gung ho about this profession from the very start. And I actually started out um, studying graphic design and political science. And I was at New York University um, doing both of those things. And my sophomore year of college, my father, who was a medical doctor, um, an MD, got diagnosed with stage four gastric cancer. So I was a little, you know, thrown off by his diagnosis. Um, He was given a prognosis of three months. We flew him around the country to some of the best cancer hospitals um, and kept kind of searching for a medical oncologist to tell us, oh yeah, he can beat this, you know, he'll fight this, we we can get through this. And we just didn't hear that from anyone. It was very, um, you know, a, a very pessimistic prognosis that we heard. So at that time I um, was just, you know, just trying to scratch at anything that would help me figure out how could I help my dad? How could I save my dad? Um, Because, you know, he was so special. He's so special to our family. So um, I ended up just, we ended up looking at some alternative clinics around the country. And my mom, um, who actually had stage three breast cancer when I was six years old, had found this um, clinic in uh, West Palm Beach, Florida called Hippocrates Health Institute. And so we flew my dad down there. Um, I went as his caregiver And I spent three weeks with him in this kind of transformational wellness program that they have um, where they teach you about juicing and um, wheatgrass and fasting and all of these other, all of these, um, these modalities that I had never heard of. Um, Again, I had no science background. I was not in the health world at this point. And so, um, you know, with my little MacBook Air that I took down there with me, um, I was on the internet every single night, just searching for articles, searching to see if there was different treatments that could help him. And I would take these these research articles that I had to to the doctors at the clinic um, every single day. I would present them with a few different articles and be like, do you think we could do this for my dad? Do you think we could try this? And one of the doctors looked at me um, there and said, you know, you seem really interested in this. You should look at Bastyr University. And so again, I was like, Bastyr, what's that? I don't, I don't know how to even spell it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went online, I Googled B-A-S-T-Y-R, Bastyr University, and pulled up this school um, that specializes in naturopathic medicine. 
And I'll tell you what it was. Um, I pulled up the the philosophy of the medicine webpage, and it goes through the six principles of naturopathic medicine. Everything from you know do no do no harm to doctor um, as teacher to use prevention, all of those principles um, that we talk about. And when I read those it just clicked. I felt like I was reading this philosophy in which I had lived my life. Um, but it was just so well articulated and, and just condensed on this, on this webpage. So, um, I kind of, you know, my parents were in the room with me when I found this and I kind of looked at them and I said, I, I think I'm going to go to this school. Um, and so that's how the conversation started. I went back to New York university. Um, I switched my major to pre-med and then, um, finished up pre-med in about two and a half years and was at Bastyr as soon as I graduated. Um, and from, you know, my dad's standpoint, he was, he, again, he was an MD. And so I, um, was a little nervous to kind of tell him, Hey, you know, I'm interested in medicine, but I think I'm going to do, do it differently than, than you are, or than you've done it. Um, but he was so incredibly supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that he could tell that I just, I completely lit up about this. So ended up at Bastyr, um, and knew from the very beginning when I, when I started school that I wanted to, to specialize in integrative oncology. So, um, Bastyr at the time had a, um, it was called Bjork back then, Bastyr Integrative Oncology Research Center. And it was led by Dr. Leanna Standish, who's a naturopath and a, um, uh, a naturopathic, board certified naturopathic oncologist. Um, and she led this research center. And I, I was just like, one day I have to work for her. And I ended up being her resident right out of school. So um, it all kind of fell into place that way. How did your dad feel going to Hippocrates down in Florida as a medical doctor? Was he like, after he was going to the conventional doctors and they, it kind of looked a bit grim, was then he, was he open to that or was he kind of, how did he feel navigating that? Yeah. Um, so my mom, um, I think had, it was a huge influence in that, uh, in that aspect. So, um, again, my mom had stage three breast cancer when I was six, uh, she went through, comp- you know, conventional treatment, did chemotherapy, did surgery, all of that, um, had my dad by her side, um, to help navigate the medical system. And, she suffered so many side effects of her treatment that she eventually um, found kind of naturopathic and integrative medicine to help undo what some of the the conventional treatment had done to her. So, um, you know, she finished treatment probably when I was seven or eight. And from, you know, seven or eight onwards, I have the only memories I have of my mom were her juicing at home and making these amazing salads and, and doing all of this, um, this natural healing to help her body recover from treatment. And so my do- my mom really set the stage for that. Um, she introduced a lot of integrative and naturopathic medicine into our household before we even had terminology for it. Uh, and then when it came to my dad falling sick, my mom was kind of the one that was like, you know, let's just try this. We're, we're hearing what all the conventional doctors have to say, um, but let's just take a chance. And, you know, uh, truthfully, the community that my dad found through this, this center and some of the modalities that he found about, found out about, he was, he said to one of the doctors there, this is the first time I have hope. And I think that was the biggest thing was to see that he, he realized that there was a world beyond the medicine that he knew. Um, and, you know, he ended up, uh, you know, he ended up doing all of their treatments and he outlived his prognosis by about 12 months. So a whole year, his prognosis was three months at the time of diagnosis. And he passed away after 15 months, which every doctor that we consulted was just stunned by how he was still living. I mean, the cancer at the time that they, um, that they caught it had spread to, you know, many organs. Um, they weren't even able to operate. It was, it was just a very, like, you kind of have to, we kind of have to send you home and you kind of have to, um, just wait. 
really. And, you know, he ended up having an incredible quality of life his last 15 months. He traveled, he visited, um, you know, he visited me in college in New York. He went back to work. He, he, he really, really quality of life was phenomenal towards the end of his life. So that was huge. That's so, so important. It's one of the things that I talk about a lot is, you know, what is your quality of life as you are going through these treatments? And um, at Hope for Cancer, I see a lot of people who come after they've done conventional uh, therapies. So that's like exactly what your mom said. They, they choose to go through chemo radiation surgery, and then they go somewhere to learn about juicing and nutrition and detoxification to rebuild afterwards. And I think that that's so beautiful because that's also prevention for the future. They don't just hop right back into the practices that may have caused the cancer to proliferate in the first place. They're making ongoing lifestyle changes. So when I was at Hope for Cancer, one of the last times, I share a lot of my journey on Instagram. I did from the very beginning showing people what it looks like for me healing thyroid cancer because I didn't want to go through it alone. It's a very, very hard thing to go through. And I wanted a community of people to be sharing with and connecting with. So I've shared, done a lot of Instagram stories of me at the clinic, things like that. And I posted one time, you know, I think I had just done maybe a rectal ozone insufflation after a hyperbaric oxygen chamber and like a B17 IV. And I said, did you guys, this is my community, did you know that these were options when it comes to healing cancer? And 85%, I think maybe like between 800 and 1,000 people had responded to this um, poll that I posted said that they'd never even heard of these when it comes to healing cancer. So just to lay the foundation for our conversation today, what is integrative oncology and how does it differ from conventional oncology? And where do you see the melding of both worlds? I know that's a big question, but <laughs> let's... Yeah. So, um, well, I think I'll take a step back for a moment because integrative oncology is really a subfield of integrative medicine, right? So integrative medicine is this field um, that uses traditional medicines, things like that, that have been in the world for thousands of years, Ayurvedic medicine, traditional Chinese medicine. Um, it, it has backings there. It has um, things like hydrotherapy in it, um, you know, botanical medicines, supplements, herbs, things that come from nature, um, and really is this field that kind of circumferences anything that I that I think is a kind of a non-pharmaceutical inter intervention, non-surgical um, uh, intervention. And so, which is interesting because, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it's interesting because I feel like some people are like, I, I don't trust integrative medicine. I don't trust that. I'm like, well, it's things from nature and it's things that have been around for thousands of years. <laughs> so, you know, it kind of has a good reputation here, but right. there's um, older one, things. Exactly. And there's a really wonderful history of, of medicine and sort of how medical education has changed over time. Because um, from what I understand, a lot of these modalities that we're talking about, you know, everything from botanicals to hydrotherapy, um, to massage therapy, all of those yoga, things like that, um, were actually originally in uh, a lot of medical curriculums, but, you know, over time they were kind of slowly um, taken out. Um, and so, yeah, so the field of integrative medicine encompasses all of that. And then integrative oncology is really about using the best of integrative medicine to amplify the effects of conventional oncology. So integrative oncologists, we have two main goals. We want to make conventional oncology more effective and we want to decrease side effects. So, you know, kind of low hanging fruit examples are we want our patients who are going through surgery to recover 
um, faster and, you know, have their wounds heal faster than, um, without infection than, you know, just if you go through the normal healing process, we want, um, our patients with chemotherapy going through chemotherapy to have as least, um, the least number of side effects as possible. Um, and if they are, if they do have side effects, we want them to be manageable and we don't want them to, for example, limit the patient's ability to go through chemo, because that's also, you know, if your side effects are so, um, kind of, you know, toxic and you're not able to handle them, then what a lot of patients do is they'll just stop chemo or the oncologist will say, you know, I think you're at a point where we can't, you know, you're, you're no longer eligible to do the chemo. And, and so we want to make sure we, we get them through that process, um, as smooth sailing. Um, and so, you know, the, the way that I describe it is, is it's kind of like, um, integrative oncologists are really good at picking, uh, you know, a la carte from this menu of uh, integrative and conventional oncology options. So we have, you know, sur- everything from chemo, radiation, surgery. We have everything from botanicals and all of these other modalities that we're talking about. And we try to pick, okay, what is going to be the most effective for this patient? Um, and we try to individualize each protocol as well. I mean, I, I love that. I think that the integrative approach is so critical. And I, I mean, why do you think that if you you have chosen this path, you have seen results from melding the conventional and the integrative, why are there some maybe conventional oncologists who would say, I would never, don't change your diet, just eat the pizza, eat the ice cream, don't worry about supplements. And they, they seem really not open to even looking at an, at an integrative perspective. Why, why do you suspect that that is? I really think it comes all down to, to education and what's been emphasized in your education. So for example, um, you know, I had a lot of colleagues and classmates that were going through conventional medical school at the same time that I was going to going through naturopathic school. And we, you know, used to compare notes quite a bit. And I found that if I asked questions about, you know, how much, how much nutrition are you taking or what's your nutrition, nutrition courses? Like I found that the um, emphasis on nutrition and, and those types of things were just not as not as um, heavily prioritized. So I don't think that it's, you know, um, because they don't believe that it works. I just think that they already have so much to specialize in. I mean, knowing the nitty gritty of chemotherapy and radiation and surgery is, it's a lifelong study. And so on top of that, when in, when in school, they're not taught about nutrition and, um, botanicals and what you can do to manage side effects, um, that have, you know, ways to manage side effects that have less side effects. So essentially like non-pharmaceutical ways to manage side effects. Uh, there's just, there's no time for it. Like when, when do they have time to sit down and actually start learning all of this stuff? I think that if the medical education system were to change, I think that it would translate into the type of physicians we have, obviously. Yeah. And I've always had that belief. I'm saying that the doctors are not doing anything wrong. Everyone comes into this profession with the desire to do good, to help people, but it's a, it's a, the education from the system higher up. Um, so what are, I know that you helped build the intravenous IV therapy clinic at the advanced integrative medical science, which is where you are. You're at the AIMS Institute in Seattle. (laughs) Institute in Seattle. Um, Tell us about those IVs. Which formulas do you rely on most and why? And what is is the role of IV therapy when it comes to healing cancer? 
Yeah, so um, I uh, started out at Ames Institute as a resident right after um, right after medical school, and I had these two amazing mentors. One was a, a naturopathic doctor, naturopathic oncologist, and the other was a medical doctor, a palliative medicine and pain specialist. And you know, they they came together to create this really um, comprehensive clinic. And so we have we're a able to really serve patients along the cancer continuum. And when I say the cancer continuum, I mean um, everything from, you know, the, the patient that is that is high risk, maybe has a strong family history who wants to prevent potentially having cancer to patients that are going through active disease and or, or act, who have active disease and are going through treatment. And then patients who have um, recovered from treatment that are trying to prevent a relapse. And so anywhere along that, um, we, we have places to intervene. And I will say uh, another note about that is we have a really wonderful um, kind of mental health psychiatric team as well. And that is a, a huge, it's a, such an important service when it comes to the world of, of cancer of just making sure that there's psychotherapists and social workers and things like that on board to really help navigate some of the psychosocial um, things that come up with cancer. But so um, our clinic started um, as a kind of a clinic to see patients and then also a research institute and also an IV clinic. So I'll tell you about the research later because that's really interesting. But the IV clinic um, is is, uh, a place where patients who are going through either active treatment um, or trying to prevent relapse can come in for, for specific treatments. And we have this range of formula, everything from hydration to nutrition, to um, pain formulas, to formulas that will help with, um, potentially have some anti-cancer effects. We, um, at our clinic, we started a um, outcomes clinical trial. So every patient that is that sees us um, is enrolled or asked to be enrolled in a um, prospective outcomes research study. So what we're trying to do is collect data on our patients to see whether the patients that do pursue integrative oncology and do treatments like supplements and IV therapy and diet and lifestyle changes do, do better than the national average in terms of overall survival. So my mentor, who I mentioned earlier, Dr. Leanna Standish, she actually has been doing prospective outcomes research studies for a very long time and has been and has already shown that in breast cancer patients and lung cancer patients, um, the patients who pursued integrative oncology do have a better overall survival um, than the national average. So we're we're trying right now to use our IV therapies as one of the interventions to see whether it improves overall survival. And we'll really be able to tell you that um, in you know five five to ten years when we can abstract all the data. Um, but some of the IV therapies that we're also experimenting with as part of our clinical trial are things like IV curcumin, um, IV resveratrol, and we have some other formulas um, that are that are in the works right now. So um, I'll say kind of the therapies, the IV therapies that I use the most um, is probably IV ascorbic acid, IV vitamin C, which um, is a very popular integrative oncology treatment. It stems from Linus Pauling's research. Um, it's been shown to be extremely anti-inflammatory. There's a study in humans um, in ovarian cancer patients that shows that it increases, uh, decreases side effects, increases overall survival. So there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of research to show that it's a therapy that can continue to be used in cancer patients safely, whether it is a good monotherapy, meaning it's, it's like just being used as just that therapy for cancer patients is still kind of up in the air. But um, when used again in an integrative method alongside uh, these conventional treatments, I've seen it to, to really do wonders, increase quality of life for patients, increase energy levels, um, decrease side effects. And that makes all the difference. I mean, um, 
you know, when you're going in for chemo every few weeks and feeling, you know, just not like yourself for five to seven days afterwards to be able to come in and get an IV and have energy the next day is life-changing for them. I mean, you know, so many of our patients are, have to continue to go to work and have to continue to be parents and shuttle their kids back and forth and do all of these things. And so as much as we can help them feel as normal as possible during treatment, um, then, you know, then we feel like it's an, it's a, it's a benefit to add these therapies on. So Do you have a range of recommended dosage? I mean, I know for me at Hope for Cancer, I did 25 grams, 25 grams of intravenous vitamin C three times a week while I was there. Do you kind of have a range or do do you feel like it varies a lot just for people who are listening who think, oh, that might be something I would want to, you know, integrate into my protocol just to have a starting point of understanding an an amount to ask for? Yeah. So um, really, really good question. And uh, IV vitamin C can be used at all different dosages, right? So anything from one gram to over a hundred grams, but, um, there's a certain threshold that's somewhere between, between the like 10 and 20 grams where the effect of the vitamin C changes a little bit. So, um, below sort of the 10 grams vitamin C acts as more of this immune stimulant kind of uh, the way that we, the way that we traditionally think about, um, vitamin C, right? Like you go, you go to this, go to the store and pick up a bottle when maybe you have a little bit of a cold or something like that. And you use it to help your immune system. When you use it above, um, kind of in that 25 gram threshold and anywhere above that you're, that you're speaking to, it works as more, it has this more like cytotoxic effect. And the way that we, um, use, uh, or figure out our dosage is we actually use a glucometer. So the thing that diabetics use to check their blood sugar, um, the molecule of glucose looks very similar to the molecule of ascorbic acid. So we use this, this glucometer to help um, give us an idea of how much ascorbic acid is actually floating around in your body. So what we do is we start our patients out at usually 25 grams, which is kind of our starting dose. And there's blood work that just kind of a disclaimer, there's blood work that should be done before, you know, ever pursuing a a dose this high, because there could be, um, some life-threatening effects. So, um, you want to get, you want to go to a doctor, get all that blood work done, make sure that you're cleared to do this therapy first. And then we start our patients at 25 grams right before they get their IV. We, we take a little, um, do a little finger stick, check their blood sugar to see what their baseline blood sugar is before their IV. Then, you know, they get their 25 grams. And after their IV, we do another finger stick and check their blood sugar. And what we're looking for is a threefold increase. So if, you know, if the number is somewhere in the nineties, we want to see it at least above the 300 range, um, for us to feel like there's a therapeutic effect. And there's a few papers. I think one of them came out of, um, Kansas actually, um, I hope that I'm quoting that right, but uh, that that shows that using this glucometer, this blood sugar, um, as a proxy to figure out whether you you have a therapeutic level is is that's that's kind of the the way to do it. So, you know, if a patient doesn't achieve that threshold, then we'll move them up to maybe 50 grams, and again check. And if they don't get that threshold, we'll move them up a little bit more. But we're all always looking for that threefold increase when we're doing um, IV vitamin C. Interesting. Okay. So if you are, if one is in Seattle, Washington, they can come to the Ames Institute and work with you or someone on your team. But if they're not in Seattle, what's the best way to find someone to be doing, to be providing high dose vitamin C or any IV therapy? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of integrative oncologists, um, offer IV vitamin C or offer, you know, intravenous therapies. So what I would suggest is there is a board, um, the American board of naturopathic oncologists, ABNO, um, that has a website, um, where if you go online, I think if you, I think if you just 
probably have to Google search ABNO, <laughs> um, but you can, it'll say find a naturopathic oncologist. And there's a, a tool on there that can help you find someone in your state. Um, the initials that you want to look for is F-A-B-N-O. That means they're a fellow of the American Board of Naturopathic Oncology. And in, um, this, so this is a specialty that, that happened uh, in 2007 by a lot of naturopaths who realized that there's their, you know, passion was really working with cancer patients and they wanted to train the next generation of naturopaths who wanted to work with cancer patients in a really standard and safe way. So they came up with a board exam. Um, there's now board certified naturopathic oncologists. Um, and I think, yeah, there's, so an easy way to do that is just look for a fab now, F-A-B-N-O, or you can just Google like the A-B-N-O website, which we can link if you need to. Yeah, we can link. And that's awesome. That's super helpful resource there. Um, so the other question that I had was when it comes to integrative oncology and working with an integrative oncologist, would that be the sole provider in your journey? Or do you find that most of your patients pair their work that they're doing at the Institute with a conventional oncologist? Does it change case by case? Do you have a recommendation for that? How does that, because I know for me, I have I have a lot of different providers and different partners on my healing journey. Um, and at this point, I actually do focus the, the majority of my care on, a, on an integrative team. Like really most of my care comes from Hope for Cancer. And then I have some different naturopaths or doctor of functional medicine that I meet with to give me another perspective. But just because of where I am in my own healing, my conventional oncologist team isn't so much a part of the picture right now. So how do you recommend that partnership unfolds and what do you see happen most often? Yeah. Um, I think that it really depends, like you said, where you are on the quote cancer continuum. So um, I, any patient that's actively going or has active disease and actively going through treatment, I require them to have a medical oncologist on board before I will see them. Um, or, you know, it just is really important to have a quarterback like that when you're, when you have active disease. Um, I think integrative oncology, the, the integrative oncologist might be a little bit you know, can take over being the quarterback of your team when it comes to um, once you're in, once you're a survivor and you're in remission and you're working on secondary prevention. And then also the other place where integrative oncologists are, um, you know, can be kind of the sole provider is when you're kind of working on that prevention as well. So if you're a high risk patient, don't have a diagnosis, have a strong family history, then I think absolutely an integrative oncologist could kind of lead the way, make sure you have a geneticist on board, make sure you have, you know, a, a relationship with your medical oncologist or primary care provider, make sure you have your screening exams, all of that. Um, but I think a a patient who has active disease um, and is going through treatment should absolutely have a medical oncologist on board. I think Honestly, it's so important to, to kind of round out your team in the beginning and make sure that you have a really strong relationship with all of your providers. Um, I can't stress this enough to my patients, but you know, we're, it's funny to me because we're so picky when it comes to romantic partners, right? When we're picking someone to spend the rest of our lives with, we're, we're like willing to communicate what our needs are. We're willing to communicate what our boundaries are. We're willing to, you know, and, and we also know when to leave a relationship. We're like, okay, this is no longer working for me. I got to go. But when it comes to the provider, patient relationship, there's kind of, you know, there's unfortunately this, this power dynamic that doesn't yield um, for that kind of open communication as much. And I, I tell my patients, you know, kind of think about 
think about your providers, pick them the same way you would pick someone that you, you know, you might spend the rest of your life with, because it's really important that there's this mutual respect between you and your provider. Um, and also that there's this open communication because this is, your, it's your body at the end of the day, right? And if it, there's, you're about to have, if you're about to have all of these things done, you want to make sure that you still feel like you have the autonomy to say yes or say no, or say why, um, and have that other, other person be open to those questions. Um, so that being said, kind of, I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of, of second and third opinions. Um, I've always kind of made a joke about how I personally get a second opinion when I have the common cold. I just, I think, you know, everyone comes in with different perspectives and can give you their own, you know, their own education, own knowledge. Um, but the more information you collect, the better, I think. So, um, you know, I encourage my patients to make sure that they, if they have like a counselor or therapist on board as well, to make sure that they have some, this, this, uh, consistent support system through their treatment as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, again, the, there's a term for kind of the relationship between the patient and the provider, um, that we used to talk about a lot in school called the therapeutic alliance and that alliance between the provider and the patient really is its own therapy in its, its own way. So I think it's just so important that that's there. Um, but yeah, I think I play a bigger role in my, in my patients who are either the high risk or the secondary prevention. And then um, I have a really wonderful working relationship with a lot of the medical oncologists uh, and radiation oncologists and surgeons in my area. So um, the other thing that I would recommend is, you know, when you're when you're talking to your medical oncologist team um, or just your conventional oncology team, ask if they've worked with a naturopath before or an integrative oncologist, um, ask if they would be open to, to working with them. And I do also find, I mean, I regularly will call up the medical oncologist that I'm working with and say, hey, I just want to let you know that, you know, this, this is a patient we're talking about, this mutual patient. This is what I'm planning to do. I wanted to clear it with you. I'm going to add on this, you know, these five treatments. Is that okay with you? And it's, you know, it has to be collaborative amongst the providers as well. Yeah. That's, you called it a therapeutic alliance? Therapeutic alliance. Yes. That's incredible. I love, I love having a term for that because I speak to a lot of different cancer patients, all different types of cancer all around the country and the world really. And there's just far too many stories of people not feeling like they're heard or they're understood by their practitioner. So I think that was really beautiful. What you spoke to is saying, I call up the medical oncologist and say, Hey, this is what I'd like to do. You know, how does this feel for you? That's just beautiful synergy and teamwork. What do you do when, you know, you have a medical oncologist who you say, Hey, I'd like to integrate some of these you know, I maybe want to work with an integrative oncologist to add in some vitamin C and, and they just say that's stupid. Don't do that. Doesn't work. You know, is that a sign to leave them? I mean, how do you, how do you navigate that? Because you're, I mean, as a cancer patient, I know you're scared, you're vulnerable. Um, you, you want help and you, you trust that these people are here to help you, but, um, what do you do when they say no, or make you feel badly for what you, how you want to go about your healing? Yeah. Um, one thing that I should have said in the very beginning when we were talking about kind of what integrative oncology is, is that the the other thing and the way that I practice integrative oncology is it's evidence-based, right? Evidence-based complementary and alternative medicine that has been shown to either, again, increase the efficacy of conventional treatment or decrease the side effects of conventional treatment. So, um, and, you know, you mentioned earlier that there, you know, there might be some providers who don't have nutrition knowledge or aren't sure about, you know, aren't sure how to navigate, navigate that conversation. And so when I do um, call up and, and find a, a maybe a medical oncologist who's not very open to the idea, um, 
the first thing I do is prioritize education. So um, I have this kind of standing rule that I've inherited from my mentor that whenever I finish one of my chart notes, I always, um, you know, I get the permission, permission from the patient to share my notes. And then I always share my notes with the medical oncologist. And in my notes, um, I always have citations for research articles to explain why I'm doing what I'm doing. And that's just, you know, it, I've just found that for me, it helps kind of solidify my own treatment ideas. You know, when I'm thinking about, okay, I want to do IV vitamin C. Why? Well, there's a paper that shows that in ovarian cancer patients, it did this, this, and this. So for this ovarian cancer patient, this is why I'm recommending it too. So I have, I have kind of this, um, you know, database now of all these citations that I regularly use to, to, to explain and justify, um, the treatments that I'm recommending. And so what um, I do if I'm met with resistance is I'll say, well, you know, if you don't mind, I'm going to send over my notes and in there, you'll find some research papers. If you don't mind, just take a few, look, like take you a few minutes to look at them. I know you're really busy, but then give me a call up if you want to discuss them, because I'd love, you know, the opportunity to talk to you about this. Um, and so I just, I really, and I also love that um, another kind of naturopathic principle that really drew me to the medicine is this idea of doctor as teacher. So the word doctor comes from the Latin word docere. And in Latin, that means to teach. So the word doctor actually translates as teacher. And I, I just love that idea because, you know, going through school again, I didn't come from a huge science background. I had the opportunity to go through this four-year program where I learned so much about my own body. And I was, I, you know, I was just amazed through the anatomy classes and the biochemistry classes and the physiology classes, how much I learned about what was actually going on inside of us. And it made me so excited that I just kind of was bursting at the seams to tell other people. And, you know, my friends um, always kind of, my fr my non-medical friends always thought it was so funny because I would be sitting and, you know, at brunch and being like, well, let me tell you about why, you know, like when you drink this, it's going to do this. This, or when you eat your food, it's going to do this. And like, I was just so excited to explain um, just the normal physiological processes to other people. And I, I still, you know, I think it's, I, I just think it's so important that people have access to this knowledge. And so as much as I can, I feel like I'm this vessel that's sort of, you know, grabbed all this knowledge and done all this information, information gathering, just to be able to, to share it with other people. Because ultimately, like, everyone I feel like is very entitled to this, to the, to knowing about their own bodies and what's going on in there and why it's happening and um, what we should be doing to bring our bodies back to kind of optimal functioning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And very empowering to have that knowledge as well. Yeah. And, and that's why, I mean, I love what you're doing too, because through your own journey, you're teaching other people about, about their own body and bringing awareness to it. So it's, it's and I, awesome. I had that same feeling was like, I have to tell people about this. Like I feel <laughs> so good and my numbers are trending in the right direction. And I have more vitality and energy than ever before. And my eyes are clear and the mass in my neck is shrinking. Like I have got to tell the world, you right. know, so I, I had that feeling as well. So someone who's working with you, you, you as their integrative oncologist, what are some of the practices that they might be doing on a consistent basis at home, whether that's um, detox practices that they're doing, um, mental or emotional practices, maybe thing, uh, key components of your nutrition protocol? What are some things that your patients might be doing day to day at home? Yeah. Uh, um, so again, it depends on where they are on that cancer continuum. It's very individualized and something that, um, but I think the, the kind of fundamentals and the basics are, you know, these, these core things of eating real food, decreasing the pack, pack, um, 
process and package food, making sure that they're sleeping and as much as they can, making sure that they're sleeping without the use of pharmaceuticals or without the use of supplements. Um, you know, whether it's, whether you're taking melatonin or whether you're taking some like Ambien, those are both aiding you in, in sleeping. And so what is going on that you're not able to fall asleep, um, on your own. So, you know, really working on all of that. Um, you know, I'm a huge proponent of intermittent fasting and I don't, you know, I, I, as a rule, I kind of do this 13 hour prolonged overnight fast with a lot of my patients. Um, and it's really just, you know, 13 hours of free between dinner and breakfast. And it gives the body that opportunity to kind of, um, rest, allow your digestive system to rest. Uh, a huge thing that I work on with a lot of my patients is the gut. So, um, you know, all of these fancy medicines that are in the integrative oncology world, supplements, botanicals, all of these things need to be absorbed through the gut for the most part, unless you're using IV, which, you know, IV is great, but um, if I can avoid IV in a normal, healthy patient, I'm going to. So if my patients are taking, you know, a handful of supplements, but their gut's not functioning, then that's, you know, they're not absorbing any of that. So making sure that their gut is healing. And then um, there's one thing that, you know, I find myself just working on um, myself, like in my own personal practice, and then also with patients. And it's kind of what I call practicing parasympathetic. Um, we have these two components of our nervous system, our fight or flight, which is our sympathetic nervous system. That's, you know, activated when you're running from a bear, um, traditionally activated when you're running from a bear, but nowadays it's activated. If you get a scary email from your boss or you get a Instagram notification or, you know, your, your crush or your, you know, partner get you and you and your partner get in a fight or something like that. So that part of your nervous system in our society is just really, really activated. But there's this other whole part of your nervous system called your parasympathetic, which is your rest, digest, and procreate. And that's a that's an opportunity where you know your body is really, really calm. It can actually optimally optimally um, break down your food and absorb the nutrients. And that's when you're going to have sort of normal menstrual cycles too, because your body's thinking, okay, well, hey, I need to go through this cycle because I need to procreate because I'm not running from a bear. So this is the time to procreate. Mm -hmm. So. Um, the sort of practice parasympathetic, just, you know, slowing down and breathing from your dia diaphragm, not breathing from your, you know, your chest, that anxious, shallow breathing, smiling, laughing, all of those things help exercise that parasympathetic part of your nervous system and help move you from sympathetic to, to parasympathetic. Um, so that is a huge component of, of the work because I had a mentor when I very, when I started school uh, in the very beginning who said, you can only heal in parasympathetic. And the more I learned about it, it made so much sense because parasympathetic is when your immune system is at its best. It's when your immune system is like, well, I'm not fighting, I'm not running from a bear. So let me make sure that everything in my body and like everything, you know, let me surveil everything to make sure that things are, things are okay. When you're running from a bear, your immune system doesn't care about fighting the infection or fighting that one genetically mutated cell that might become a mass one day. You know, you're, you're, your entire body is just working to, to run away from that bear. So um, parasympathetic, turning that on, activating it, practicing it, exercising it is just crucial, I think, um, when it comes to, to any health condition, but definitely with my cancer patients. Um, and then another, uh, another aspect of kind of homework that I've been really honored to get to learn about through my, my clinic, Ames Institute, um, and through my residency program was the importance of um, kind of realizing the, the correlation between trauma and cancer and um, specifically what's going on in your childhood what, or what happened in your childhood. So there's really wonderful research that shows that adverse childhood events, any you know adverse experiences in your childhood can increase your risk of cancer. 
cancer. And it again, makes sense. If you have, you know, adverse childhood um, experiences, your body might not feel safe. Your body might be conditioned to thinking that you're running from a bear. And therefore that fight or flight, that sympathetic nervous system is activated, overactivated. And so, um, you know, throughout child, throughout your adulthood, you, you have this fight or flight that's always kind of activated and, and on, and that can suppress your immune system and really change the way that your immune system works. So um, I work with some very interesting and very innovative um, um, psychiatric treatments to help um, address uh, trauma, anxiety, PTSD. Um, some of the therapies that we are experimenting with at our clinic are ketamine assisted, assisted psychotherapy, which is a type of, um, it's, ketamine is a, you know, historically very safe uh, anesthetic. Um, but at a certain dose, it can cause this kind of psycholytic, psycholytic um, and break down your ego. And when it does that, it really gives you the opportunity to sort of address, you know, what's happened, how do I want to orient in this moment? And how do I want to be in the future? And so we have um, this, this, these really amazing therapies that are available to our patients. The other thing that we use it for in our cancer patients is existential distress, which comes up a lot. So, um, you know, that's a great, a great therapy to help, um, you know, a terminal patient kind of understand mortality and, and be able to converse about it and be able to work through their fear and be able to work through their anxiety and their, um, you know, just all of their thoughts around it. So, um, I, I love those conversations with my patients. I love, um, that's, that's a huge, you know, I feel like, from the very get-go, whether you have a cancer diagnosis or not, talking, understanding and talking about and having an open communication about death and what it means to you is really crucial for um, the relationship I have with my patients. Wow. Yeah. I mean, everything you just shared resonates so deeply with me. I think that they're, I mean, the ability to shift into parasympathetic to reduce our stress and, and also to look into our traumas are things that we're not on my radar in the beginning, when I was first diagnosed and people were like, Carly, you might want to think about meditating. You might want to think about doing some journaling and looking to childhood traumas. I was like, you guys are out of your minds. Like I just received a cancer diagnosis. I need to get IVs. I need to change my diet. I need like, I needed all, I wanted all these very physical things. And while that did have a deep impact on my physiology, I believe, and a lot of the people that I speak to, is that the the emo reducing the stress, letting go of the weight of the emotional traumas that we carry with us have been the most profound things in my own healing. It's it's allowed me to be lighter, and that's why I say like I feel healed yeah. because I've done the deep emotional work to let go of things from my childhood, of the sudden passing of my father, um, things that came up from between two years old to the year before I was diagnosed. I mean, very deep and profound work was done there. And so now, you know, in, in my own journey, I said, I'm going to put off initially when I was diagnosed, it was, we need to do surgery immediately. We need to take out your thyroid, open up the left side of your neck, remove 30 lymph nodes, radiation therapy, pharmaceuticals. I was like, hold up. I'm not anti any of those things, but I need to understand the why behind how this happened to someone like me who already felt like they were a pretty healthy individual before I start doing anything like that. And I always 
thank God that I did that because if I ever do need surgery or some kind of conventional medical care in the future, I will go into that with so much grace and so much willingness because I know that I've done the work to be able to um, move out of that surgery in such a strong place. Like what you mentioned is like preparing the body to navigate that with um, more resiliency and, and more strength, yeah. more fortitude. So, so I mean, it's just the things you just shared there, they're everything when it comes to this, this truly healing, like yeah. what I say, what I call healing. That's the work that we need to be doing. I so agree. I mean, I, again, when my dad was sick, the, the things that I thought about were IV therapy and botanicals. And I was looking up all of these very physical treatments. And the more that I got into this work as a practitioner, I realized you can do all of those amazing kind of, I almost want to say like, they're like the cool, like they're like the, um, like firework treatments, right? Like they're really like, you know, they're, people get very excited about them. They're very showy, but the work that's done that can't be seen is, is really feels like the true work. And I can say that now having seen patients go through our ketamine program and come out of it. And then all of a sudden you see like, the, the treatments that you've been doing for, you know, months, the IV treatments and the supplements are now suddenly really taking hold and actually making changes and you're seeing it in their lab work. And, you know, I just, I, I was stunned by how potent and powerful that is. And it, it speaks, the other thing that I wanted to say is um, I spoke about the therapeutic alliance and the reason why I emphasize that so much is because when it comes to adverse childhood events and sort of childhood trauma, the, the antidote that has been studied and researched and talked about, the only antidote is resilience. And the way that resilience is defined is, um, you know, the, the relationship that one has between a primary caregiver and a child, right? That, that's what creates and forms resilience. And so as much as I can in my own, you know, practice, I try to be that, um, that resilient caregiver for my patients to help model that resilience um, so that they can start realizing and forming resilience to, to help antidote their trauma as well. You know, there's these great therapies that, you know, there's all, there's this whole world of medicine that we can use for, for trauma, but that relationship with a private provider is so important. And, and that's why I think it's important for the patient to also find that with their medical oncologist and with their radiation oncologist and with their therapist and all of that, because the more times you're practicing resilience, the stronger it will be. And so every time you have that relationship with the provider and you feel like you're heard and you have, you know, that understanding, you are going to be stronger in the end. If you are negated and nullified by your provider, it's only going to potentially trigger things um, that might aggravate some of that childhood trauma too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and what I love about the discussion we're having here and what I'm hearing is that, you know, if it aligns with you and what's recommended for you is this chemo radiation, this surgery, this trajectory, go ahead, but add on these therapies, you know, pair these supportive therapies along with it. Let it be an integrative approach. I believe so deeply in my bones. It does not need to be an either, or it doesn't need to be, I'm holistic and I will never touch a conventional therapy in my life. It's the death of me. And it also doesn't need to be, I am only of the conventional model and anything on that side is quackery. Where can we open our hearts and our minds enough to say, where is the beautiful melding and, and uh, partnership between these two worlds. And it's what we're speaking to. It's what you're sharing. It's the work that you're doing. And it's so incredibly powerful because it doesn't leave any, anyone out. It includes everyone, despite your perspective on what healing looks like for you. 
I so agree. And, you know, a lot of these treatments that we, that I use are not very expensive, you know, like um, making dietary changes and switching up, you know, making sure you drink more water and making sure that you sleep more and all of those things. They're, they're easy treatments that are, you know, have very few side effects and that can be used in such a complimentary manner. And I, I do strongly believe that you need to use the best of both worlds for the best outcome. Um, and, and medicine is a spectrum, right? So on the like lower end of the spectrum, we have things like botanicals and, um, you know, hydrotherapy and yoga and Reiki and all of those other things. And then on the higher end of the spectrum, you have things like radiation and chemotherapy and surgery it is all the same spectrum but knowing when to use what i think is really important um and yeah i i also just find i also find that it's it's important to kind of explain that to my patients too because i have a lot of stage four patients that will come in and and feel like there is some magic cure that they haven't come across yet mm -hmm. and i you know and I was the same way when I, when my dad was diagnosed with stage four disease. I was like, you know, we just haven't researched enough. We just haven't found enough. We just haven't found it. And, you know, for what is available in our country, um, integrative oncology really will use the best of both worlds and make sure that there's, you know, that what you're, the, the integrative medicine is not harming the conventional medicine and the conventional medicine is not harming the integrative medicine, but that there is this like, um, just marriage of the two. Um, and yeah, that, I think it's just really important to, to emphasize that, that using, using both of them, um, not one or the other is, is kind of the, the, the key. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's such a powerful and important conversation that's being had here. So I'm so glad we're recording it. <laughs> <laughs> so before we wrap up the podcast for today, is there anything else that you want to share just about your work, perspectives on the healing journey, integrative oncology, any, any last notes that you, you would want to share here? Well, I think that, um, I love, I love working with cancer patients, um, but I also love working with patients who um, have yet to have active disease. And I say that because any, any person, any human is at risk for cancer. So we have this kind of idea of, um, you know, we, you're in the high risk, so you should be watched more closely kind of thing. And maybe a high risk patient should go see an integrative oncologist. But I would encourage anyone to kind of seek out a naturopath or an integrative oncologist or someone that has integrative medicine training because, um, whether it's cancer or whether it's diabetes or whether it's some sort of chronic disease, by utilizing some of these very, you know, some by utilizing some of the medicine that's at the quote low end of the spectrum, you can prevent so many diseases. And you know, the one thing that I think about a lot for myself, having had two parents with cancer, is what can I do to, today to prevent my risk? Um, and I always am trying to think. I'm always researching and trying to find out how I can prevent from from being sick one day. And what I want to make sure that I do personally is I want to start doing these things before I ever fall sick. Um, I don't want the sickness to be the turning point. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, I'm, you know, my parents have, I'm very fortunate to be, have been part of their journey because I now am on this part of my journey, but, um, for people who are just kind of curious and wondering, um, I would just definitely encourage them to start seeking out some of these healing tools and think about practicing parasympathetic before they're being forced to practice parasympathetic. Um, because it's a, it's a very different experience to utilize these therapy therapies voluntarily versus, you know, being, feeling like you're, you have no choice. Um, so 
Yeah. Look up, look up integrative medicine specialists in your, um, in your area, um, you know, and, and just start building awareness about your own body and what it feels like when your body's not at a hundred percent and how does that manifest and in what organ systems does that manifest and kind of what are your weaker organs? Um, like, you know, a simple thing, if, if you, if you, t- when it, whenever you're feeling like a not hundred percent, if you always kind of have a stomach ache, like, huh, maybe let me, let's start working on your gut. Or if you always maybe have a sinus infection, every time you're not feeling a hundred percent and you're stressed and you have an exam or you have something going on, maybe let's start working on your sinuses or just what are sort of the organs that are already telling you and giving you signals and what can you do to, to maybe start addressing them ahead of time? Right. Don't wait for a diagnosis to start your healing journey. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Perfect. Perfectly summed up. Beautiful. Well, I appreciate you, your passion, your knowledge, your heart so much. Thank you so much for your time today. We'll make sure that we get links below um, to find you, to connect with you for where you said to find naturopathic physicians, things like that. And um, thank you, Dr. Sonia. Of course. Thank you, Carly. And thanks for being such an inspiration for all of your followers. Of course. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. To keep the conversation going, come say hello over on Instagram at at CarlyLovesKale or visit CarlyBrownWellness.com. Several times a year, I offer a program called The Daily Detox, which integrates and teaches many of the practices that you are learning in these podcast episodes. To learn more about that program, you can visit my website, CarlyBrownWellness.com, and I'll see you all soon. Bye-bye.